another episode before we jump right into this devastating case a word from the sponsor eva's bell bonds where their licensed professionals are available 24 7 seven days a week they work hard to make your experience as fast and convenient as possible their goal is to help reunite families across the state of idaho safely and effectively payments are available se habla espanol give them a call and let them help you at 208-312-3660 again that is 208-312-3660 secondly i have an important question do you think that the children conceived during this quarantine will be known as quarantines or children of the corn and lastly spotify labeled this podcast both true crime and comedy so I'm just glad that at least somebody in Spotify, wherever, whoever controls that, thinks I'm a little bit funny. So even if you guys don't, at least Spotify kind of has my back, right? <laughs> so enough of the little palate cleansers. As you can tell by the title, we are going to be discussing the JonBenet Ramsey case. This case will literally drive you crazy because there are so many things that were sketchy about it, things that were done wrong, but I just want to make it known that the last like maybe 15 minutes of this are speculation and please just remember that there are speculation i don't want to get sued this family is known for going for people's throats and i ain't about that i ain't about that life so remember speculation <laughs> okay here we go john bennett ramsey was born on december 7th 1943 he was born in nebraska he graduated from Michigan State University in 1966 with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Oops, I just smacked my laptop, sorry. Five years later, he got a master's degree in business administration. Patricia Ann Ramsey was born on December 29, 1956, and in 1978, she got a degree in journalism from the University of West Virginia, and in 1977, she won Miss West Virginia at 20 years old. John and Patsy married in November of 1980. Their son Burke would be born seven years later on January 27, 1987. In 1989, John formed a product group called Access Graphics, and he was named the executive chief officer. The family moved to Boulder, Colorado for John's growing business. Jean Benet Ramsey was born on August 6, 1980. It was no secret that Jean Benet was Patsy's pride and joy. She was even put into beauty pageants just like Patsy when she was young. Some of her titles include Little Miss Colorado, America's Royal Miss, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, Little Miss Charlevoix, etc. By 1996, Access Graphics had grossed around $1 billion. And on December 25, 1996, Christmas Day, the family opened presents and had breakfast. John claimed that he went to the airport later that day to prepack some gifts and to be prepared to leave early the next morning. The family was set to go to the White's house, another family's house, for dinner. That evening, when they left from the White's house, they made two other stops to drop off gifts. John states that when they arrived home, Jean Benet was asleep in the back seat. He carried her upstairs and states that it was the last time he ever saw her alive. John claims to have gotten up early to shower that morning to prepare for the trip he had planned. Then he heard Patsy scream. She told him she found a ransom note 
and the ransom note was 2.5 pages long. It stated the following, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate, an adequate size attached to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on the delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money, hence an earlier, an earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instruction will result in the, immediate, in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray, if we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99 a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't under don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. To this day, police say they have never seen such a long ransom note. The Ramseys then called police, family, and friends, even though the note had said not to do so. At around 5.52 a.m., the 911 operator states that she stayed on the line after Patsy had talked with her and she thought she hung up. But then she states that she heard talking and it is uncertain whether the voice was Burke, Patsy, or John. But the operator makes it seem like she's leaning more towards a child's voice. But the Ramseys claim that Burke was sleeping at this time. Because this was believed to be a kidnapping, the house was not closed off for investigation. The only room that was closed off was Jean Bonnet's bedroom. The Ramseys' close friends had came over to the house, which was a terrible idea because they literally contaminated a crime scene, and at one point, one of her friends began cleaning the kitchen and wiping things down. <laughs> oh my god, I, I don't understand why the cops would not put a stop to this. Like, if you see somebody wiping down what is assumed, like, I understand it's assumed to be a kidnapping, but I would still take all the necessary precautions and kick everybody out of the house but that's just me. The police found no sign of forced entry, but there was one open door and a cracked window downstairs. But in an interview with John Ramsey, he claims that he was the one who broke it, who broke it prior to the incident. Keep in mind that John and Patsy were not interviewed until much, much later. While this entire investigation is happening, John and Patsy, 
John and Patsy don't even seem to be a bit concerned about the time. Remember the ransom note saying that they would call at around like 8 or 10 a.m. to return the child and get the money? Apparently, they didn't even pay attention. They That 10 o'clock came and went and nobody even said anything. But don't you think you would have flipped your shit if your kid was missing? Like, wouldn't you be staring at the clock like for every second? But to each is their own. A detective told John to search the house, so John started in the basement. He opened the door to the to a room that was downstairs. And on December 26, 1996, the body of a six-year-old Jean Benet was found. She had duct tape over her mouth and her arms were tied above her head. Her body was wrapped in a white blanket and she had a garrote on her neck that was made out of Patsy's broken paintbrush. John ripped the tape off of her mouth, picked her up, and ran upstairs screaming. The body was moved several times, and John and Patsy had been crying on top of her, so any evidence that could have been used was now contaminated. It took almost two days for an autopsy to be performed. However, they were not able to pinpoint an exact time of death, and it was found that she was killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. Cut-up pineapple was found in her digestive system. There was no evidence of rape, but there was vaginal injury. No semen was found, but it seemed like she had been kind of roughly wiped wiped with a cloth. To this day, it is uncertain what, what happened. Many people have confessed to this crime, and while Patsy and John blamed the housekeeper and an ex-co-worker, there are a lot of different theories on what might have happened that night, and I think these are pretty important to listen to, but keep in mind speculation. Burke was known to be found Burke was known not to be fond of Jean Benet. It is said that he would smear feces in her room and pick on her. Marks had been found on Jean Benet that had resembled a taser or a toy train that was owned by Burke. Remember how she had pineapple in her system? There was a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen. Did I say on the kitchen or in the kitchen? There was a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen, sorry, covered in Burke's fingerprints. So hypothetically speaking, what if he gave her a piece, then like got angry with her and did something to hurt her and Patsy being the mom she is, she would want to protect her kids. So she tried to cover it up and then made it look like somebody else did it. But hypothetically speaking... Police had found an abandoned started draft of the ransom note in a legal pad that was on the counter. The pen that was used was also put back, which would mean that the kidnapper would have had to had written the 2.5 ransom note inside of their house. But I don't think somebody would stand in somebody's house to write a 2.5 ransom note and then start over if they mess up. Also, let's be honest here, people who are just borrowing a pen to sign something will literally steal your pen and then not put it back, but you expect me to believe a kidnapper would, a kidnapper would worry about returning your pen? Probably not. The handwriting kind of looks exactly like Patsy's, but that's, that's none of my business, I guess. The note also asked for $118,000, which is exactly what John would have received as a Christmas bonus. And how would anybody have that information? Like, it seems too coincidental for it to just be a random number. 
Like, why $118,000 unless you knew that's what he got from his Christmas bonus? Remember, there were no signs of forced entry in their home. John had been overheard by police talking to his pilot for a flight. He was setting up a flight to Atlanta a few hours after Jean Bonnet's body was found, which seems just a tad bit sketchy. The last and final thing I want to shed some light to was the statement made by Detective Steve Thomas, which states, quote, It's really long, so get ready. In my hypothesis, an approaching 40th birthday, the busy holiday season, an exhausting Christmas day, a couple of glasses of wine, and an argument with Jean Bonnet had left Patsy frazzled. Her beautiful daughter, whom she frequently dressed almost as a twin, had rebelled against wearing the same outfit as her mother. When they came home, John Ramsey helped Burke put together a Christmas toy. Jean Bonnet, who, Jean Bonnet, who had not eaten much at the White's Christmas party, was hungry. Her mother let her have some pineapple, and then the kids were put to bed. John Ramsey read to his little girl, then he went to bed. Patsy stayed up to prepare for the trip to Michigan the next morning, a trip she admitted did not particularly want to make. Later, Jean Bonnet awakened after wetting her bed, as indicated by the plastic sheets, the urine stains, the pull-up diaper package hanging halfway out of a cabinet, and the balled-up turtleneck found in the bathroom. I concluded that that little girl had worn the red turtleneck to bed, as her mother originally said, and that it was stripped off when it got wet. As I told Smith, I never believed the child was sexually abused for the gratification of the offender, but that the vaginal trauma was some sort of corporal punishment. The dark fibers found in her pubic region could have come from the violent wiping of a wet child. Patsy probably yanked out the diaper package in cleaning up Jean Bonnet. Patsy would not be the first mother to lose control in such a situation. One of the doctors we consulted cited toileting issues as a textbook example of causing parental rage. So in my hypothesis, there was some sort of explosive encounter in the child's bathroom sometime prior to one o'clock in the morning. The time suggested by the digestion, digestion rate of the pineapple found in the child's stomach. I believe Jean Bonnet was slammed against a hard surface, such as the edge of the tub inflicting a mortal head wound. She was unconscious, but her heart was still beating. Patsy would have not known that Jean Bonnet was still alive because the child had already appeared dead. The massive head trauma would have eventually killed her. It was a critical moment in which she had to either call for help or find an alternative explanation for her daughter's death. It was accidental in the sense that the situation had developed without motive or premeditation. She could have called for help but chose not to. An emergency room doctor probably would have questioned the accident and called the police. Still, little would have happened to Patsy in Boulder, but I believe panic overtook her. John and Burke continued to sleep while Patsy moved the body of John Bonnet down to the basement and hid, hid her in the little room. As I pictured the scene, her dilemma was that the police would assume the obvious if a six-year-old child was found dead in a private home without any satisfactory explanation. Patsy needed a diversion. A, Patsy needed a diversion and planned the way she thought a kidnapping would look. She returned upstairs to the kitchen and grabbed her tablet and a felt-tipped pen, flipped to the middle of the tablet and started a ransom note, drafting one that ended on page 25. For some reason, she discarded that one and ripped pages 17 through 25 from the tablet. Police never found those pages. On page 26, she began the Mr. and Mrs. I. Then she abandoned that false start. 
At some point, she drafted the long ransom note. By doing so, she created the government's best piece of evidence. She then faced a major problem of what to do with the body. Leaving the house carried the risk of John or Burke waking up at the sounds of possibly being seen by and possibly being seen by a passerby or a neighbor, leaving the body in a dis in the distant, almost inaccessible basement room was the best option. As I envisioned it, Patsy returned to the basement, a woman caught up in panic, where she could have where she could have seen perhaps by detecting a faint heartbeat or a sound or a slight movement that although completely unconscious, Jean Bonnet was not dead. Others might argue that Patsy did not know the child was still alive. In my hypothesis, she took the next step, looking for the closest available items in her desperation. Only, f- only feet away was her paint tote. She grabbed a paintbrush and broke it to fashion the garrote with some cord. Then she looped the cord around the girl's neck. In my scenario, she choked Jean-Benet from behind with a grip on the broken paintbrush handle, pulling the, pulling the ligature. Jean-Benet, still unconscious, would have never felt it. There are only four ways to die, suicide, natural, accidental, or homicide. This accident, in my opinion, just became a murder. Then the staging continued to make it look more like a kidnapping. Patsy tried... Patsy tied the girl's wrists in front, not in the back, for otherwise the arms would not have been in that overhead position, but with a 15-inch length of cord between the wrists and the knot tied loosely over the clothing, there was no way such a binding would have restrained a live child. It was, sim- it was a symbolic act to make it appear like the- to make it appear the child had been bound. Patsy took- Patsy took considerable time with her daughter, wrapping her carefully in the blanket and leaving her with her favorite pink nightgown. The FBI had told us that a stranger would not have taken such care. As I told Lou, I thought that I thought that throughout the coming hours, Patsy worked on her staging, such as placing the ransom note where she would be sure to find it the next morning. She placed the tablet on the countertop right beside the stairs and the pen in the cup. While going through the drawers under the countertop where the tablet had been found, she, she found rolls of tape. She placed a strip from a she placed a strip from a roll of duct tape across Jean Benet's mouth. There were bloody, there was bloody mucus under the tape, and a perfect set of the child's lips prints, which did not, in, which did not indicate a tongue impression of resistance. I theorized that Patsy, trying to cover her tracks, took the remaining cord tape and the first ransom note out of the house that night, perhaps dropping them into a nearby sewer or amongst the Christmas debris and wrappings in a neighbor's trash can. She was running out of time. The household was scheduled to wake up early to fly to Michigan, and in her haste, Patsy, and in her haste, Patsy Ramsey did not change clothes. A vital mistake. With the clock ticking and hearing her husband moving around upstairs, she stepped over the edge. The way I envisioned it, Patsy screamed, and John Ramsey, coming out of the shower, responded totally unaware of what had occurred. Burke awakened by the noise shortly before six o'clock in the morning and came down to find what had happened and was sent back to bed as his, as his mother talked to the 911 emergency dispatcher. Patsy Ramsey opened the door to Officer Rick French at about 5.55 a.m. on the morning of December 26, 1996, wearing a red turtleneck sweater and black pants, the same things she had worn to the party the night before. Her hair was done and her makeup was on. In my opinion, she had never been to bed. The diversion worked for seven hours as the Boulder police thought they were dealing with a kidnapping. John Ramsey, in my hypothetical scenario, probably first grew suspicion while reading the ransom note that that morning, which was why he was unusually quiet. 
He must have seen his wife's writing mannerisms all over it, everything but her signature, but where was his daughter? He said in his police interview that he went down to the basement when Detective Art noticed him missing. I suggested that Ramsey found John Bonet at that time and was faced with the dilemma of his life. During the next few hours, his behavior changed markedly as he desperately considered his few options, submitted to the authorities or submit to the authorities or try to control the situation. He too had already lost one child, Beth, and now Jean Bonnet was gone too. Now Patsy was possibly in jeopardy. The stress increased steadily during the during the morning for Patsy in my theory. New she knew that no kidnapper was going to call by ten o'clock, and after John had fi- and after John had found the body, he knew that too. So when Detective Linda told him to search the house, he used the opportunity and made a beeline for the basement. Then, tormented as he might be, he chose to protect his wife. Within a few hours, the first of his many lawyers was in motion. The private investigators a a day later. That's the way I see it, I said to Lou Smith. That's how the evidence fits to me. She made mistakes and that's how we solve crimes, right? I I reminded him of his own favorite saying, murderers are usually what they seem. So I will leave you guys with that. And those are theories, emphasizing the theories. Don't sue me. Thanks. And I'm sorry that that was so difficult for me to read. I have the worst dyslexia, so everything kind of just merges together and flips upside down and back and forth. But I'm sorry you guys had to go through all that, but I think that it's one of the important theories to listen to, especially if it's coming from a detective. So before I end this, I suppose that I will tell you guys kind of a palate cleanser thing. So last night I was playing Call of Duty, right? And we were in a group chat, a a group chat thing, a party. I don't know what you want to call it. Then my partner told his little brother, like, I'll show you where (laughs) he said, I'll show you where the bear shits in the woods. And then all of a sudden it hit me like a truck. Like I was looking like that's so Raven when she gets a vision. Right. And I like paused everything. And I was like, holy shit, the Charmin toilet paper are bears because the bear shit in the woods. (laughs) And that's how I knew I am one slow-ass girl. (laughs) But the bear shits in the woods, man. And I'm pretty sure you just heard Jacob fucking screaming in the background, so my bad. Anyway, this episode's super heavy. I want to know what you guys think about it because it drives me crazy thinking about it. And I don't know what I want to believe. So talk to me about it because I want to know your opinions, okay? Remember... That we are on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, at Passions or Peace Podcast. You can send me a Gmail or a request at Passions or Peace Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to the sponsor. And most importantly, thank you for coming back and listening. Even though I can't read, I make shitty jokes and sometimes my voice cracks and I don't know what to do with it. remember to stay peaceful and passionate take care of yourself make sure that you are staying in your house and lastly don't forget where the bear shits in the woods (laughs) i love you guys and i will see you on monday bye